horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And a good day to all of you. This should be an interesting show. Right now I'm looking out my window at the Space Needle from the Crown Plaza here in Seattle, Washington, making a cross-country trip uh, to drop off a uh, truck to my son, who's now going to college in Eugene, Oregon, and thought I'd swing up here to see my niece, Erin, who just had a lovely baby girl, uh, Mary Breslin. So it's going to be a fun time, and... uh, It's just been an absolutely gorgeous trip along the way. And while I was on the road, I wasn't sure when I was going to have Wi-Fi or not. So I went to the well, and there, ready to go, was my friend Ed Meyer, uh, the former uh, host of this show on Winning Ponies. And I want to thank Ed so much for stepping in for me uh, last week. Uh, He's a great friend, a, a great handicapper, and I really Really appreciated uh, the effort, and uh, tonight I'll appreciate the effort by our producer, Matt Widener, uh, who's going to try to help me out here. Normally, I've got reams and reams of paper downloaded, but tonight everything's going to be coming off what I've collected on the Internet, so if you hear a pause or two, uh, please do forgive. But uh, on to winning ponies right now, and uh, tonight a a very special guest. Uh, His name is Eric Wing, and... uh, Eric is the Senior Director of Media Relations uh, for the National Thoroughbred Racing Association. Uh, he's a cool guy. He's an avid horse player. He's also dabbled a little bit in ownership, uh, and uh, he likes those future book bets so the guy can see into the future in, in both racing and in sports. I'm not going to tell you whose book he is. But uh, before joining the NTRA, I found out he took an interesting way into racing. Uh, he was actually uh, editor for 13 years at the Reader's Digest, uh, but certainly it's made him a great interviewer, a great writer, a great coordinator. He was the uh, uh, previous uh, president of the Turf Publicist before he uh, turned the baton over to me, and Eric really helped me a lot in, the, in those early days. So uh, he's going to be uh, first our guest and second our handicapper. So and uh, giving shouts out, I also want to give a shout out to Jason Beam. Now, I got to know Jason when he was the race caller at uh, River Downs, and since then, uh, he moved back to where he kind of came from, and that was on the West Coast, and he's the race caller at Portland Meadows. Well, uh, he he took care of my son Jake and I at, at Portland Meadows last night. Very interesting track. I believe it's been there since 1946. There's a lot of history when you walk in uh, to the, the main entrance uh, some of the oil paintings and photographs uh, of all sizes and eras are just fantastic and really take you right back in time, even back to the Iceman, George Wolf. They ran an interesting card last night, and, and let's face it, uh, most of the card uh, were uh, acclaimers, which are as much fun to bet as anything else. Um, yet, uh, my son Jake caught on early to a jockey I had never heard before, Deborah Honan. And Deborah had only ridden one winner there. It looks like she got to the meet late, and she won the first three races on the card. And then uh, Portland Meadows did something interesting. They, they kind of have a series of races that lead up 
to uh, $220,000 races, um, the Philly Mare Sprint Claiming Series final is one for the girls and one for the guys. And basically, you, you kind of become eligible for this by running in claiming races at Portland Meadows. And it's no secret to the people there, so the majority of the horses you see on the card in these races, this is, these are horses now that have been running for you know, $3,500, $2,500 conditioned races, and all of a sudden, because they were dedicated to stay there and hang at Portland Meadows for the meet, they get a chance to run for $20,000, both the boys and the girls. A very creative way uh, to support those that support you at every level. As we know, the racing in the United States is bolstered by the claiming game, and uh, my hat's off to Portland Meadows. Very interesting track. Reminded me of the fairgrounds uh, before the fairgrounds uh, suffered its tragic fire. A lot of nooks and crannies and neat little places around the track. Uh, barbecue picnic area. A really nice outdoor uh, turf club. Uh, it was a fun place to be. So if you do get the chance to come through, uh, visit Portland Meadows. Uh, well, you're not going to be able to visit Belmont Park on Friday. Due to anticipated heavy rains, uh, the live racing card at Belmont Park has been canceled uh, to make sure that the track is in optimal conditions for Saturday's card, which, of course, is a big, big part of the Breeders' Cup winning your end challenge series. Uh, there's going to just be some unbelievable races uh, on Saturday. It's going to get underway at, at 12.50. Of course, it's highlighted by the Jockey Club Gold Cup uh, with a 10-horse field. Uh, rematch between the top four finishers of the Whitney, uh, Fort Larned, uh, with our friend B.J. Hernandez, who's uh, been a guest on the show. Uh, then you've got Ron the Greek, Flat Out, Hymn Book. This is solid. I know we lost a lot of performers over the year, uh, but right now some of the other ones are stepping up. Uh, also, on this card of superstars, we're going to get to see Royal Delta, and it's tricky in the grade one Beldame in Invitational. Uh, this, again, is going to be a great, great rematch. Uh, the question is, and the reason why I didn't pick these races to handicap with Eric later, is some of the grass races, because of the rain, I kind of uh, you know, passed on the bigger grass races there, uh, like the Flower Bowl Invitational and the Joe Hirsch. Uh, we will be playing uh, the Vosborg, but this is just going to be a, a weekend that's going to have a lot of impact on the Breeders' Cup. Uh, also, there in, in New York will be the Kelso Handicap uh, for three and up, 400000 Let's not forget out at Santa Anita, we've had some name changes, so this might uh, kind of uh, keep you on the edge of your seat. Uh, what used to be the Goodwood is now the Awesome Again Stakes that's drawn together an amazing handicap group, grade one for a quarter million. That's a win and you're in. And then uh, the two baby races, I thought we'd pass on those. Uh, but they're going to be very, very good races. And uh, what used to be the Oak Leaf and the Norfolk, uh, very good races for launching two-year-olds. Uh, the Oak Leaf is now the Chandelier Stakes, and the Norfolk is now called the Front Runner Stakes. And another Breeders' Cup win in your in is the Rodeo Drive Stakes, which used to be the Yellow Ribbon, a race that really has a lot of history to it. Uh, that's a quarter million at 10 furlongs for the Phillies and Mares. And then the Zenyatta Stakes used to be called the Lady's Secret. That one kind of surprised me that it got uh, renamed so quick because I think Lady's Secret is still uh, in, in the mind of, of a lot of people uh, as a, a horse that uh, 
one would want to remember with a stake. So anyhow, great weekend, and hopefully Eric and I can break it down for you and uh, come away with a few winners and certainly some angles to look at. I've uh, been talking the last couple of weeks about Keeneland. The September sale finished with a 14% gain in average, so you've got to like that. People are spending money on horses, and this just wasn't the high-end ones. Uh, the, the, uh, the figure... Uh, the median was 50% higher than last year's, uh, 45000 Now, again, maybe you and me and the guy next door can't afford that, but uh, you get together a couple people that got a little bit of money, and it's nice to know that they're getting in the game. Uh, the buybacks uh, did, did fall, too, from 21% to 19%. Earlier in the sale, it was a little bit higher. Um, the sales topper was a distorted humor cult out of grade one winner Mushka, who sold for $1.65 million. So uh, things looking uh, pretty good as far as the horse sales uh, are considered. Uh, things are also looking good for a horse that we've been following, and that's Painter. Um, it sounds like he has been improving. Of course, he won the Haskell Invitational. And uh, right now, as you know, he uh, first had colitis, and then he developed laminitis. And uh, his owner, Ahmed Zayat, um, Keeps putting out tweets and saying that uh, that the feet are showing soul growth and the horse is doing well. So uh, we really wish uh, Painter all the best of luck uh, to come back. And they say they do want to uh, race him, but he's had less complications. Let's keep our fingers crossed right there. Uh, big horse on the, the, the racing scene. The factor has been retired. Uh, he's a son of top sire Warfront. A uh, very, very fast horse, and he's only going to stand for 15000 So uh, the factor, I think, is going to get a lot of action at, at the Breeders' Shed. Uh, of course, he was out of uh, the winning Miss Walkie Mare. A graciousness, uh, who, her dam was a half-sister to Chief Seattle. I won't go on, but nonetheless, some very, very good breeding there. Uh, ended up winning 922000 uh, during his career. Now, we're going to have a big showdown. Again, we're talking about Breeders' Cup races uh, between Miss Oriala and Awesome Feather. And what a race uh, they put in. We're, we're going to see them again in the Breeders' Cup Classic. Uh, they're, they're both unbeaten. They were unbeaten two-year-old Philly champions in different years. And so if they meet, one of them will not be undefeated anymore. Uh, just a sensational uh, racing uh, down there at Parks. Uh, the Ladies' Classic will be very, very interesting to watch. Um, Ella Fitz, who is going to go in the Zenyatta, she's going to end up at Hoosier Park. Kind of an interesting uh, uh, twist there that she's going to be shipping from the West Coast. Uh, but uh, then, again, we've got those top races we mentioned earlier. Uh, five grade one races are going to be run out on the West Coast on Saturday, and uh, the, uh, they're part of the Win and You're In program, the races that we'll be highlighting later on our handicapping portion. Uh, the stakes grew, uh, drew at least a nine or more entrants. Uh, that, that chandelier stakes, of course, is uh, going to be led by the unbeaten executive privilege uh, who won the uh, grade one debu- debutante. Um, and the... Uh, the uh, Zenyatta Stakes uh, drew a field of nine. Amani include me out. Love and Clyde. Love the way you are. Star billing and switch. These are going to be some good ones. And then uh, the race that's now called the Awesome again. 
drew game on dude with the new jockey, Rafael Bayerano, replacing Chantel Sutherland. And uh, Doug O'Neill, well, Doug O'Neill is back in action. He's back on the track, and uh, uh, while his uh, assistant took over very well in his absence, uh, he'll, he'll be calling the shots right now back at uh, back at Santa Anita. Of course, you know that he now switched over, and he has Richard's kid from Bafford, who's going to challenge game on dude. Should be very, very interesting right there. Uh, the derbies aren't over. we got the Oklahoma Derby. Willie Beeman's going to ship in. Man, this horse has just uh, turned into a monster. He's won his last six starts, including that huge quick turnaround in the grade one Kings Bishop uh, at Saratoga. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see uh, what, what happens when he switches surfaces out to the Oklahoma Derby there. Now, uh, he was uh, under the care of uh, Dick Dutrow, uh, but when nominated to the Oklahoma Derby, it turns out Dutrow, who uh, was denied a license in Kentucky, didn't apply to a license in Oklahoma, so this horse uh, will run uh, under the name of William Cesar. Bill Cesar will... Uh, will take over right there. So, uh, again, uh, just so many big races, the Jackie Gold Cup, what's on the line there? Well, uh, we'll be talking about the race later, but Ron the Greek, uh, you know, just coming out of the, the top of barn of Bill Mott, he would join an elite club with a group in there, affirmed and John Henry as the only horses to win both the Santa Anita Handicap and the Jackie Club Gold Cup in the, the same year. Quite an accomplishment. Um, Tyler Bays, he's back in the news, and he's going to be able to resume riding again. Let's hope that he has uh, met and challenged and beaten uh, the demons that have kind of put him on the sideline. A lot of talent right there. Again, probably the race of the week was Miss Oriola uh, winning the stretch duel with Questing and the Cotillion at Parks. Hope you got a chance to see that race. If not, go online and check it out. It was just one of the best races of the year. Uh, Miss Oriola was a little bit back, but Questing was not given up. Uh, just a fantastic effort. Can't wait till these two uh, come back and, and you get a chance to, to meet later in the season in the Breeders' Cup. It's going to be it's going to be a very very interesting uh, Breeders' Cup schedule. So uh, you know that pretty much. Uh, uh, you know, closes it out. Uh, we had uh, Handsome Mike, big upset in, in the Pennsylvania Derby. Uh, again, there's so many races you can go on and uh, and see. The one you really want to watch is uh, uh, Dustin Diamond, who set a st- stakes record in the Gallant Bloom at, at Handicap, um, at Belmont Park, rather. Uh, very, very interesting race uh, from uh, w- way back getting up at the end. So that's a quick look at the national news uh, here uh, from Seattle all the way back to Elmont, New York. Uh, coming up next, again, uh, we're going to be uh, treated with an interview with uh, Eric Wing. Uh, he's going to tell us uh, about a lot of the strides that the NTR has, has taken. He's the Senior Director of Media Relations. And then after that, Eric's a bit of a handicapper, and he's going to try to give us some winners here on Winning Ponies. Take a little break. We'll be right back. Your 
internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. If you're looking for a radio show about boxing, you usually can't find one until you stop by the Voice America Sports Channel. Tune in to Outside the Ring with former world lightweight champion and U.S. Olympian David Diaz. We'll deliver the knockout punches with our guests as we go inside the minds of today's top fighters. We'll throw in discussion of other sports as well from time to time. Outside the Ring with David Diaz airs every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time noon pacific on the voice america sports channel your internet flagship station for sports voice america sports you're tuned in to winning ponies with your host john Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and, and with me is uh, is Eric Wing, as I told you at the top of the show, Uh Eric has uh, been with the NTRA for, I believe, about 13 years now. Uh, before that, I remember I was at a bar at Arizona, sat down next to him uh, at the symposium, and was kind of shocked to find out that he was an editor for Reader's Digest, and the fact that he could turn that talent around and uh, turn it into his passion for racing, uh, I always admired him uh for that. Uh, Eric is a guy that does not sit behind a desk and call any shots at the NTRA because uh, there's not a major race I don't show up at where I don't see Eric hustling around in the mornings um, during race day, doing interviews after. Uh, obviously, like everybody else, it's kind of like, no, you don't have a staff anymore. You've got to do all this stuff by yourself. Uh, we've got we've got some cutbacks here, so uh you know, you're gonna you're gonna just take on more duties. Eric Wing, how are you, my friend? I'm fine, John. Yourself? I'm doing great. I just made. I just uh, did the Oregon Trail. I delivered a truck to my son at Eugene, Oregon, and I'm shooting up here to see my niece in Seattle. Uh, stopped by uh, Portland Meadows last night. Of course, my son went six for eight. I, I won the two races he lost, uh, but it was a fun time. It was really neat. I didn't realize that, that the history of that track, to be honest with you. you know, Sometimes you look at a purse structure of a track. I guess you could say the same about River Downs, and you don't appreciate the history of the track and what goes into it. And they, they had a very interesting uh, stake program where they offered two races of $20,000 to bottom-level claimers that had been racing at the meet all week long. It was like a series where you became eligible. So I thought it was kind of neat to reward those that, that keep your program going. And I think it's kind of neat that the Engelhart family swept the card at Portland Meadows. So I, I will tell you, I don't know how long you're going to stay out in the in the beautiful Pacific Northwest, 
but if you keep calling it Oregon instead of Oregon, you're going to get some dirty looks out there. Yeah, yeah, I probably will. Well, now I'm in Washington, so I'm out of there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and, anyhow, uh, Eric, uh, there, you know, the, the NTRA um, has gone through so many changes uh, over, it's over a decade now, um, I, I'll never forget uh, the day I, show, I saw Nick Nicholson showing up the little old River Downs because we hadn't signed on, you know, sitting in there talking to the general manager who called me in and said, hey, does this make any sense to, to sign on with these guys? We're a smaller track. Um, and at that time, there was a lot to offer. Of course, there were a lot of question marks uh, of what is this organization, what is their benefit to us, uh, of course, what... I was sold on, and I must say Nick was a great salesman at the time, too, for the NTRA, was the whole marketing package and the fact that uh, when, when we say uh, we signed on with you and we became, we shared advertising revenue, uh, the, the kickback we would got as long as we helped with the signage with the program. That was probably one of the biggest lures, and quite frankly, it was probably one of the things that maybe brought us out of the program when that chip was, was taken off the table. I, I know the whole idea was branding the sport, and it seemed like the NTRA ha- had grown, and now it seems like it's scaled back, but it seems focused uh, that maybe over the years you guys have seen, okay, this is... This is how we're going to appeal to the wider audience, and this is how we're going to bring in newer players uh, through uh, through the internet and through uh, our exposure, getting right into their computer. Uh, that's a real broad view from one person. Tell me how you saw the evolution and, and where the NTRA is going now. John, I think you're. Your broad view is a is a pretty accurate view. I think when the NTRA started back in uh, 1998, the view among the public was that it was going to be all things to all people. And I think in some respects, the NTRA early on tried to be all things to all people. If you think way back, there was not only the, the co-op advertising program that you're referring to. That's but the word I was looking for. Yeah, exactly. But there was talk about starting a, a national wagering hub. And um, one of the problems the NTRA ran into fairly early on with the wagering hub or and its uh, kind of tight support with TVG is that right when that was going on, a lot of other organizations, uh, you might recall Fairgrounds being one of them and some others, were interested in starting their own wagering hub. They saw uh, accurately uh, that account wagering was going to be a real growth uh, aspect of the business, not unlike simulcasting a few years earlier. So it became a case where maybe the NTR, why should we pay dues to an organization that's ultimately going to compete with us? So that was that was a big part of the evolution early on. Also in terms of co-op advertising, a lot of a lot of tracks, started thinking that, you know, we want to advertise locally, not nationally. So that's part of why um, that focus kind of uh, left a little bit. And over these 13 years or 13 and a half years, uh, absolutely the organization has become more focused. 
The other thing it's become is a lot less dues reliant. When you when River Downs was signing on and, and gosh, Nick Nicholson did such a great job of spreading the word and, and building support for the NTRA. The NTRA's budget, if you will, was pretty much ninety percent dues and ten percent other stuff. And and this year in two thousand and twelve it's it's almost uh standing on its head. Right now we're about 20% or thereabouts reliant on member dues and and 70 or 80% is coming from things that people are paying for. Um, you know, like, for example, NTRA Advantage, which uh, the average racing fan may not be all that interested in, but that our member tracks sure are. That's a buying program whereby our members can save money on John Deere tractors and Toshiba televisions and, you know, Lord knows tracks buy a lot of televisions. Um, and by, by marshalling the collective buying power of the industry, um, it's, it's created a lot of savings for the industry. I mean, just this year we went over $100 million in sales and, and $10 million in savings to the industry. So that's one area, and, and obviously with the, the John Deere's and the, the Office Maxes and the others, we get a cut of that sale of, of those sales revenues that that um, that get driven by the industry. So that's that's a big part of our budget right now. Whereas back in the day, it was pretty much what racetracks were willing to cut us in as far as a check. Well, for for our listeners, I, I think they need to know some of the other steps you're taking that can affect people personally. Uh, I personally gain a lot from you coordinating the national press conferences. Uh, you, you pull out the stars of the sport and allow people from coast to coast uh, that are, you know, are right and, and talk about the sport on radio and television to actually interview the, the top people in the game. I don't think that's something a lot of people know about. Uh, explain that. And explain some of the other behind-the-scenes things you're doing to spread the word to the media, so they will hopefully get an interest and pass it along to their listeners. Yeah. Well, John, unfortunately, we're not the NFL, and and people aren't <laughs> necessarily hanging on horse racing's every word. We have to work for every bit of. The television coverage and, and, and newspaper space that we get. So but our stewards are better than the refs. <laughs> You'll get little debate on that point. Um, but one thing we have to do is to try a little harder, and so we, we, we do every week um, bring the stars to the media, and, and by that we have weekly teleconferences in which just this past uh, Tuesday, Tuesday, as a matter of fact, we had Bill Mott and Ron Ellis and Ron McAnally on to to spend an hour with us taking reporters' questions and previewing all the big races at Belmont and Santa Anita to generate coverage in the uh, in in the the various newspapers, both local and national, to to put more of a spotlight on these Super Saturday races and and that's that's just part of what our sport needs to do to to hold its own in in the constant battle for attention not just within sports but it, within the whole recreation standpoint the other thing we've done a lot of 
um, particularly in the last five, six years, is, you know, health and, uh, health and safety of both our horses and our human athletes in the sport has, has rightly taken on a greater and greater emphasis, not just within our sport, but in the, in the mind's eye of the general public. And so you've seen things like the NTRA Safety and Integrity Alliance, which, uh, which accredits racetracks on, on the safety and integrity fronts. We've got 23 tracks signed up uh, that are fully accredited, and those tracks represent about 70% of handle. We, we're not where we want to be. We'd like to have 100% of, of tracks and 100% of, of handle, but it, it enables the industry to show that it cares about the health and safety of its, of its uh, athletes and that's something the industry can't do enough of. And, and along the same lines, another, another area in which maybe we weren't where we needed to be, but we're, we're starting to get there is in, is, is in terms of thoroughbred aftercare. And just yeah. this year, the Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance has been developed. That's something that the NTRA is putting a lot of resources in, but it's by no means a solo NTRA effort. It's, it's encompassing the whole industry. And uh, right now, that that organization is getting its funding mechanisms together. But I think you're in, in the next uh, weeks, months, and and years, you're going to see uh, thoroughbred aftercare in a position where the industry can be proud. And maybe that wasn't the case five or six years ago. Now, and uh, an, an excellent job your organization has done. Uh, before I get to the bottom of the hour and the break, let's talk a little bit about uh, America's Best Racing. Obviously, you guys know that so many people get their information right now from off the web, and uh, I must say your site is all-encompassing. Well, <laughs> ntra.com was all-encompassing. and You know, John, that's one of the great things about our sport. For diehards like you and me, there's an, there's an almost endless supply of information, and for, for folks like us who can't get enough, chances are, you know, we're pretty well sated, or, you know, we can, we can find stuff about the big races. The thesis behind America's Best Racing is that perhaps the casual fan is somewhat underserved in all of this. The, the person who shows up at Churchill Downs for the Derby or might venture out to the Breeders' Cup or might go out to Belmont because it's, it's Super Saturday, um, maybe they need some handrails in terms of how to box a trifecta or, or even what a trifecta box means. There is a, an intimidation level that goes into uh, thoroughbred racing that certainly isn't in play with the lottery or playing a slot machine. And that's, that's the crux of what America's Best Racing is all about, to try to... to uh, demystify the sport to the to the ca- more casual observer, and also to show off parts of the sport, um, you know, whether it be fashion or lifestyle and or or, or whatnot, that uh, maybe the uh, the the real birds like you and I uh, kind of overlook from time to time. So, America's Best Racing is a is about six months old. You can you can find it at followhorseracing.com and. As you'll see, it has a different look and feel than maybe DRF.com or, or some of the other great industry websites. But that's where, what that's all about is to try to uh, 
uh, offer a hand to the uh, to the more casual fan and hopefully convert them into degenerates like you and me. <laughs> well, I'm looking at it right now, and it just really moves. And, you know, in this one-minute world we live in, uh, this is maybe where we're going to get some of the, some of the newer horse players. And, uh, you know, it's... It, it's a great site, and I, and I hope that the listeners on Winning Ponies are, are listening to this and writing it down, and, and, and we'll check it out. Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to uh, take a little bit of a break, and as I uh, stated uh, earlier in the show, this is just a, an, an amazing weekend for, for, for races uh, as far as the impact on the Breeders' Cup. We're going to do our best to, to handicap several of them. We'll talk a little bit about some of the races perhaps we're not going to handicap and, and just the, the, the whole uh, general racing scene as we come into, I guess, the uh, 17th fairway of our season here. But, uh, again, I'm talking uh, with Eric Wing uh, from the National Thoroughbred Racing Association. You're listening to Winning Ponies. We're going to take a little break, and we're going to be right back. <laughs> Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Are you looking for the ultimate trail to hike? Maybe you're looking to do the ultimate backpacking adventure. Whether you're a day hiker or an all-out backpacker, be sure to tune in to Backpacking America's Trails with host Rob Maureen. We'll explore some of the most fascinating places on Earth. In addition, we'll talk about backpacking gear, including reviews, safety tips, and more. Our experts will share recipes, destinations, and skills to make backpacking the most enjoyable experience for you. Listen every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form, the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry, let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me again, uh, a good friend, a good handicapper, and one of the top guys in the game, uh, Eric Wing, is with us. Uh, we were just talking briefly, kind of wrapping up about uh, when, when you go to the NTR website and some of the things you'll see, everything from racing tracks, video, horse players, new fans, community, you can buy stuff. Uh, we briefly alluded to uh, America's Best Racing, and quite frankly, uh, we all need a little help in this sport, and you got a little help w- with that part of your site. We, we sure did. I mean, that, that new site, America's Best Racing, uh, at followhorseracing.com, that really wouldn't be, be possible without uh, the support of the Jockey Club, which feels very strongly about attracting new fans and and new followers to the game. So uh, our hats are off to the Jockey Club for all they've 
they've done to help make uh, America's best racing possible. Well, I have to be honest, you know, uh, every week I, I kind of scramble around from site to site to try to find, you know, what I feel are the best sports that our listeners want to hear about or perhaps they missed. And I was, I'm looking at your top eight stories, and I think I got seven of them. So <laughs> I might not have to chase around as much. I might just go to your site to uh, pull down about Hanson Mike's upset of the Pennsylvania Derby or uh, that great race between Miss Oriala and Queston and uh, Dustin Diamonds and Factor being retired. It's all right there. It's uh, one-stop one shopping, I should say. Well, we want to make it as easy as possible. And there's so many great websites to, to learn all of that and more. And, and that's the sport is so conducive to the, the information age which we live in, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or, or uh, just the web. Um, it, it's one of the great things. We're by no means the only sport in that category, but, I, 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 you know, of the things that uh, the sport does do well, I think it's, it's, uh, it's social and new media and electronic engagement is definitely one of them. Well... Um, I did, uh, outside of mentioning you were going to be on the show as the headliner, I did have to break the show with the fact that things might get a little bit dicey in New York tomorrow, and they're going to take a break to make sure that this outstanding program that's going to be presented on Saturday, uh, they're breaking from racing tomorrow. What's the extended forecast before we start breaking down some of these New York races? Well, uh, you know, I think I think any handicapping is going to have to be kind of conditions dependent because it's supposed to rain hard tomorrow, John, and then rain not much, if at all, on Saturday. So the key uh, with the decision to not race tomorrow, I think, was to not cut up the either the turf nor the dirt courses by having racing over it while it was raining. Uh, the track super in New York is excellent at being able to uh, seal the track and get it dry for a, a moment in time down the road. It makes it infinitely harder to do that when you're racing over the track while it's raining. So I, I'm sure people who are going to go to Belmont tomorrow are disappointed, but for the rest of us who are kind of focused on Saturday, I think it's going to prove to be a great decision. Now, the grass is the grass. It's either going to be, you know, it's going to be however much rain God decides to, to send down on us. But in terms of the dirt course and, and our ability to keep it dry, I think um, not racing tomorrow is going to be a great thing in terms of how the dirt is going to be on Saturday. Well, it wasn't until I uh, dug up some, some research. You know, I think we're going to start with the TVG uh, Jockey Club Gold Cup and uh how this this handicap division is really turning into a, a a great heavyweight fight is is the fact that what I didn't realize is that uh, you know this could change the whole landscape should Ron the Greek jump up and win and and the fact that he would join affirmed and John Henry as the only horses to win both the Santa Anita handicap and the Jockey Club Gold Cup in the same year. So we could actually see a little bit of history being made on Saturday. That, you know, that is pretty heady company, John, When you, if you're going to be in a three-entity group that includes uh, 
affirmed and John Henry as the other two members. That that does say a lot. Uh, Ron the Greek has had a stellar campaign, and uh, you know, I, for my money, he and I'll have another of the of the leaders in the clubhouse in terms of horse of the year. Now, of course, there's more uh, there's more uh, racing to to be to be had as far as Ron the Greek's concerned. Uh, having said all that, I mean, historically, the mo for Bill Mott is to have his horses peak on the day that it means the most, and I'm not sure that that means tomorrow. At least not for Ron the Greek. This horse is in like Flynn in terms of the Breeders' Cup Classic. I mean, he's already won a Breeders' Cup Challenge race in the Stephen Foster Handicap, so he's got all his entry fees paid. I think Mott is going, not that he wouldn't like to be part of history, but I I think he's going to use the race for Ron the Greek more as a prep. There are very few questions with this horse. He's already, not only has he had a great year, but... Part of that great year is a mile and a quarter win at Santa Anita in the big cap. And um, so he knows that horse fits. And I'd be surprised if he's cranked up to run his very best race, knowing that Mott wants him to turn that type of effort in uh, five weeks hence at Santa Anita. Well, while we're on the TVG Jackie Club Gold Cup again, it's a it's a Grade One at the classic distance of a mile and a quarter. Uh, you've you've talked about Ron the Greek a few uh, weeks ago. I had on the show a young man I really like a lot, and as a matter of fact, got married this week. Uh, Brian Hernandez. Uh, this Fort Larned was kind of a horse that just blossomed. You know, came out of nowhere. Do you give him a shot in here? Oh, absolutely, John. This horse, this is a lot of horse. And if if you look at, I mean, there's a field of 10, and I think you can look at four or five of them to be pretty serious racehorses, you know, in that 108 buyer range. And and, and Fort Larned is absolutely one of those. I mean, he's he kind of had a, a non-effort in the Stephen Foster, but the other three of those last four races are all good enough to win this. Uh, the question a little bit with Fort Larned, uh, if you want to try and poke holes in him, is uh, this will be his first spin at Belmont. It's it's kind of a quirky uh, one or one and a half turn mile and a quarter, which can be very uh, challenging for a jockey that's not familiar with with Belmont, as as is the case with Brian Hernandez. Horse is also picking up nine pounds off virtually all of his recent efforts, and uh, a nine-pound uh, increase going 10 furlongs to me is not insignificant. Yes. Having said all that, he absolutely could win. Yeah, I mean, it, it does make such a difference going there. Normally, you know, weight might be the last thing I look at when I handicap a race, but when you've got a shift like that in a mile and a quarter, it's a big difference sprinting. If, if should anything happen in the race that uh, you know w- would prevent him from being on or near the lead, and he had to stop and start again, forget it. Now you said there were four. I want to hear the other two. The other two, I think, are completely you know top top notch uh, horses in the in the uh, handicap division. Are flat out. Who's another Bill Mott horse, and is in point of fact the winner of this race last year. He's the defending champion. Although last year he didn't win it for Mott, he he won it for Scooter Dickey, and uh, and also Hymn Book. <coughs> for, excuse me for uh, Shug McGahey. 
hymn book is uh, four for four, first or second at Belmont, and, and if the track is wet, he, he does like an off track. He's four for five lifetime. To me, uh, and, and a lot of us have maybe forgotten about it, but that Don Handicap he, he ran in February was just an outstanding race, and he kind of went south after that. But if you look in his last couple, including a, a pretty gutty fourth-place finish behind Fort Larned at San Saratoga, he seems to be rounding back into form, and I just can't get that Don Handicap out of my mind, at least in terms of thinking of him as a horse who's got the goods if, he, if he's ready. And also, he's he's got kind of the local edge in his favor, perhaps unlike a horse like Fort Larned. The other horse, uh, well, I mentioned flat out. Now, uh, it's interesting. The Whitney is a race worth watching again online, if you can. I mean, Fort Larned won. Ron the Greek ran terrific to be second. Flat out had a really rough trip in that race, and... Uh, perhaps not coincidentally, there's been a change in jockey. Rosie Napravnik is off, and, and Joel Rosario is on. I asked Mott earlier in the week if if that switch to Rosario was perhaps with uh, half an eye to, to Santa Anita in mind, knowing how well Rosario has done out there. Uh-huh. And he, he, he started to say yes, and then he kind of backed off. But I, I, I do think that's a factor. And, and he's also kind of uh, opened up the pipes on flat out a little bit in terms of his training. Uh, I'm speculating here, but I think Mott might have been a little ticked off that he didn't win the Whitney Invitational, and I, I wouldn't be surprised to see this horse cranked up to to kind of avenge the Whitney in which flat out was perhaps an undeserved third, and and he maybe he'll be saving Ron the Greek for, for another day, but uh, I, I think um, flat out him book, Fort Larned, and Ron the Greek are the four to really keep the closest eye on on Saturday. Well, you know, Eric, one thing that uh, I really like seeing in, in both of Mott's horses uh, is the fact that these are full horses that at some time, you know, being millionaires, could have been shuttled off, and the fact that they've been cared for They've been racing at the top of the game in graded stakes races, and, and they're still racing. Uh, flat out uh, being a six-year-old, Ron the Greek being a five-year-old. You know, our sport gets the knock that as soon as a horse you know wins a couple grade ones, he's off to the breeding shed. And uh, it, it's a tip of my cat, to, my cap to uh, Bill Mott and his owners, and the fact that. Uh, They've done such a great job at keeping these horses together at the, at the highest level. That's for sure, and not to get ahead of ourselves, but, you know, you look at the awesome again stakes, formerly the Goodwood at Santa Anita, and you see a seven-year-old in there, Rail Trip, who you can say the exact same thing about, and the JMS stable of the Siegel family has done the exact same thing. A very talented horse could have shuttled him off to stud, but he's back, and it's fun to see these horses who have won big races in the past continue to, to do their thing. All right. Well, listen, we, we've got uh, three more top races, and I've got about 12 minutes to cover them, and uh, this is a, a, an engaging conversation. So let's move on. I'm not sure exactly what order I gave them to you in, but I, I want to turn the distance back to, to the Vosburg. So shuffle through your racing form if that's not the order I gave them uh, to you. But that, this is, uh, again, 
grade one, $400,000, six furlongs. Uh, so you're going to see these uh, horses uh, sprinting at the Breeders' Cup and uh, brings together a very uh, interesting group, some that have uh, you know traded races and, and some that look like maybe they're just sitting on the chance to beat the horses that have beat them. The, the horse that draws my eye in here is, is Justin Phillip. Uh, has not won his last three races, um, all of them you know, pretty solid efforts uh, against three horses that are in here. But I just wonder if perhaps this could be his day. Trained by Steve Asmussen, uh, ridden by the red-hot Ramon Dominguez, uh, Justin Phillip, maybe a little bit of a price. Eric Wing, tell me where you're looking or how you judge this horse. Uh, it's a tough race to me to get to, to go all in on any one horse. Um, the Kelso elsewhere on the card is the epitome of that. But this, uh, Justin Phillip, I would say, I, I believe he's the morning line favorite. Oh, uh, now again, I've handicapped with no odds, so I had no idea. I, I believe he's the morning line favorite, and part of that is because he's got a triple-digit fire showing on top, which... Uh, only only one other can say. So buyer speed figure-wise, <clears throat> he's one of the more accomplished. He's also uh, nicely accomplished at Belmont on a wet surface, which will only, uh, in theory, improve his chances to win. He's trained by Asmussen, who also saddles Roscoe in this race. Roscoe is kind of a talented and heretofore maybe underachieving horse that I know they've always thought a lot of. Uh, Justin Phillip is, is certainly one of the ones in this race. It would be tough for me to take five to two on him. He, he's, his last three races, he lost to three different horses, all of whom are in this race. So, you know, how can you say um, that he's any certainty to win? But if you were to say uh, who is the most likely winner, you would probably say Justin Phillip, though you wouldn't feel uh, all that confident in betting your rent money on him. <laughs> well, I, again, trying to I, again, I, I handicapped this without. I thought he'd be a little bit of a price because he had been beaten by by so many horses in, in this race. Uh, can you zero in on uh, perhaps your key horse? Uh, I, I might give you a couple. Um, one in case it's wet. Um, and and if, if you ask me my top three, I'd probably have Justin Phillip as number three and and have him having him in third because he's the favorite, and I think maybe he won't be the value. Um, if the track is wet, uh, Poseidon's Warrior is, is uh, coming off. He's the other horse, incidentally, who's uh, coming in off a triple-digit buyer in that neck win over Justin Phillip in the A.G. Vanderbilt. At 36-1. to one. A, Yeah, at 36-1, to one, which almost guarantees he won't be too short this time because people tend not to bet back the long-priced horses. But uh, part of why I like him is he's by Spitestown and... Uh, you know, back in back in the old days, if you saw Mr. Prospector on a sloppy track, it was an, almost an automatic bet. And for me, Spicetown has become close to that in terms of being just a superior wet track sire. This horse is two for two on wet tracks, um, and they're arguably his, the two best races of his career. So I have to accord him a lot of respect if the track is off. 
The other horse I'm very intrigued by is Fort Loudon, number five, who's trained by Nick Zito. Um, to me, this horse has a little bit of a story attached to him. He was getting very good. He's only a three-year-old, so he was still developing during the summer, and he uh, kind of won the battle and the war in at Calder against Trinniburg, who's very fast. Comes back, and he got sh- transferred to Nick Zito's barn from Stanley Gold's barn, and Zito wasn't crazy about running him in the Amsterdam, but apparently the owners wanted him to, and he was a little flat in that race. And then he came back to run a really good uh, second in the King's Bishop behind Willie Beeman. Now, despite breaking from post four, Fort Lawton got caught four wide around the turn despite being on the pace. And the thing I'll throw out there is if you look at the jockeys, we mentioned Asmussen running two in this race. One is Rothko, ridden by Leperu, and the other is Justin Phillip, ridden by Dominguez. And nothing against Leperu and Dominguez. They're both great jockeys. But Corey Nakatani is kind of Asmussen's go-to guy. He rode uh, My Miss Aurelia at Parks uh, this past weekend. And I found it very, very interesting that Knock, that uh, Nick Zito not only reached out for but landed Nakatani aboard Fort Loudon, even though uh, Nakatani's never ridden this horse before. He has ridden Rothko many times. He has ridden Justin Phillip before. And for Nakatani to wind up on Fort Loudon rather than Rothko or Justin Phillip tells me that Zito... Uh, conveyed a lot of confidence to Nakatani for him to take them out, and this duo has had success before, most recently with Jackson Bend, uh, who was a great second behind uh, Uncle Mo in this race last year, so Fort Loudon is going to be the horse I'm kind of most interested in betting in the uh, Vosburg if it's wet. Uh, I'm going to be afraid of Poseidon's warrior, and I'm going to protect with Justin Phillip. How's that? It sounds good to me. All right. Well, I got uh, 10 pounds to put in a five-pound sack with about four minutes left. Two races to break down. Let's turn the page to the Beldame Invitational. Uh, again, you talked about Mott pointing towards races. Uh, is he saving Royal Delta? For here, or is this going to be just another uh, great, uh, you know, race against? Uh, it, it's tricky. Uh, both of them seem to be able to handle the off. So uh, tighten this bad boy up. We're going a mile and an eighth in the Bell Dame Grade One. I'll, I'll give you one quick stat, John. Uh, Mott's never won the Bell Dame. He's run second in it three times. Once with Royal Delta, who went on to win the Breeders' Cup Ladies Classic. He ran second in the Bell Dame with Unrivaled Bell, who went on to win the Breeders' Cup Ladies Classic. And he ran second in the Bell Dame with Agena, who went on to win the Breeders' Cup Ladies Classic. (laughs) Wow. Those are some great stats, Eric. So uh, he he would never admit this, but I don't think he's – he'd love to win, but I don't think he's pointing Royal Delta. Now, having said that, it's a pretty – obvious looking race on paper and I think it'll play out that way it's tricky is the other horse who is uh, had a terrible start in the personal ensign and did very well to finish only a length behind Royal Delta it's tricky arguably has the tactical advantage uh, on Saturday given her early speed and I think the race is between those two 
Um, if I were going to get clever, I would just kind of box those two in the first two slots and maybe look at go unbridled for third as a horse who's in form now as opposed to others who are trying to all kind of wake up. Well, you know, I know you're East Coast-based, but a lot of our listeners from winningponies.com are out on the West Coast, and uh, they're going to just have a fantastic day out there. Uh, it was hard to pick one of, of all the graded races and the wind that you're in, but uh, the awesome again is, is all the eyes of the country are going to be uh, on, on this race uh, again uh, because just the fact that Game On Dude is going to be in there and Richard's kid, you got kind of a little bit of a grudge match going on there. Uh, th- these guys have, have you know, uh, traded races before. Interesting switch to Bejarano on Game On Dude. Baffert and Bejarano, they're the killer bees. I'm going with them. Who you like? I have to, I have to agree with you, John. I mean, it, I, I think Game On Dude might be a little suspect when you stretch him out to a mile and a quarter. But you give him uh, a dry track and a mile and an eighth or thereabouts, and he's very, very tough to beat. He's never lost at Santa Anita. Um, I think he's clearly the most likely winner. And to me, Richard's kid maybe is getting the worst of it in terms of cutting it, cutting back to a mile and an eighth. And whether he's as good on a dirt surface as he is on poly track is, is an open-ended question. I would give uh, Rail Trip some chance. I, I don't think he drew very well in post nine, but this was a big-time horse a couple of years ago. And like Richard's kid, he kind of disappeared in 2011. He didn't disappear literally, but his form went south, and now he's rounding back into form. I, I don't think he's a polytrack horse. I think he'll benefit from, from uh, going back to natural dirt where he's best, but I think the, the race is game on dudes to to win or, or, or to lose, as the case may be. All right. Well, Eric Wing from the NTRA, I can't thank you enough. My uh, my producer is banging on the window going, hey, I don't care if you're in Seattle. you got to get the heck off the airwaves. This guy's <laughs> great. He's giving you some great information. And I just want to remind everybody that the NTRA has uh, really done a, a solid effort at uh, keeping our sport in the forefront. And the man that's driving the bus is the guy you just talked to, Eric Wang. Thanks so much for having me on, John. It was, it was a lot of fun. Well, good. And it won't be the last time. I look forward uh, to talking to you again, not just about the NTRA, but just the fact that I really respect your handicapping because I know that you are one plugged-in guy. Well, and hopefully I'll, uh, hopefully I won't be a poor guy Saturday night. <laughs> All right. Well, great racing this weekend. A lot of a Breeders' Cup winning you're in. Uh, John Engelhart, well, this week I'm not overlooking the turf course. I'm overlooking the uh, needle here in Seattle uh, to a beautiful sunset. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies. Tune in and log on to their products because we are going to give you some winners. Remember, when you bet with your head, don't bet over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.